Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And we are at a pit builder today. We are here with... Coy. And Ryan. And you guys are with... Pits and Spits. Pits and Spits, a Houston institution, but the uh, the pits at Pits and Spits have gone all over the country, all over the world, over the course of almost 40 years, and we're going to... We won't go year by year, but we'll get into a little bit of the history and a little bit of the modern day and what's coming up here. Um, but let's start at the beginning for you two gentlemen. What kind of got you started down this barbecue path what your ryan we'll start with you what were your some of your like early memories of barbecue or pits or so i'm from originally from belleville texas and my parents are from garwood native texas and my last name is zaboral <clears throat> and uh i so also basically have, you had no choice with that that's exactly well, that's exactly right <laughs> i have a, meat, a lot of a meat market there are, barbecue to, pit. To, yeah. to make to make it easy for you i also say there's some schneiders in my family too so it's a we're a big german czech family and so we grew up with ground pits, and that was how we, how my grandpa B would cook chicken, and that's just Grandpa Z had one at the ranch, and that's just what we what we were used to. And so you go to the native picnic growing up, and they've got the long brick pits like a good Czech community does. And so I, I just thought that was normal. Uh, you know, I, that was not something we ever really talked about. We just kind of that was part of our childhood. And we grew up barbecue chicken, ribs a lot. You know, this was the 80s and 90s. Brisket was a challenge, and it was something that was a uh, kind of a corned well, beef. Well, they didn't have the time for that back then. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It was very much, a, very much a corned beef type product. Um, so that's really kind of where my where my interest in the the uh, end product comes from. Uh, as far as kind of the the building side of it goes, grandfather was a rancher. Other one worked on pipelines. So we had very, you know, a lot of exposure to welding, working in the heat, yellow iron, that type of stuff. So it's very much was something that, that kind of piqued our interest when we found out that, wait, there's an industry that people sell welded products to consumers? So, With, with a relative that's a welder, did you guys have any kind of unique pits or interesting pits that were, were kind of family heirlooms at all? I don't know that they're heirlooms. They are about, in uh, you know product terms, probably in... 18 by 24 and weigh about 400 or 500 pounds. And my dad continues to try to get me to pick it up to throw it away because scrap prices are high right now. Um, but it was, it was always so-and-so had an extra piece of pipe or an extra, you know, culvert, or there was something they brought home from work. They were able to turn into a pit. So that was, that was always where it came from. And when we, it wasn't a lot of technology. It was just whatever it, you it had, just very much. Work. That's, yeah. that's right. That's right. And I, I, I very much remember my dad bringing home, a different uh, Oklahoma Joe's when they were still made in America. And that was, or I'm sorry, actually it was a New Braunfels smoker, which ended mm-hmm. up being bought by Oklahoma Joe's. Right. And I remember that as kind of my first memory of a, an offset that was picked up off the ground. Yeah. You mean, you mentioned the, you know, the old brick pits, the community pits that, you know, that were used in a lot of the small towns in Texas. And, you know, Brian, we've talked about this for years, probably off the air. I don't know how much we talk about it on the air. The whole, Texas barbecue is low and slow is kind of a modern thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, think that that's always how Texas has been. Louis Miller, kind of the canonical Texas barbecue place, 
What time did Bobby used to get into? So, so <laughs> you know, four o'clock, the fires were on no later than five, and they served at 11. And, there you, and go. you know, John, John was a good friend of mine, and, and, and Andrew's as well. I mean, sometimes they got in there a little later. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you're, you're talking 400-degree fires um, and hotter sometimes. Um, I think I think the record for John told me was four hours and seven minutes. Where we're <laughs> and probably not, rested for about six. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not, I doubt it rested at all. Um, you know, some of those were steaming out, but but it definitely it's 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 been this transition over time. But you mentioned chicken, and and that was it's still a community aspect uh-huh. of it as well. So, Coy, how about you from uh, from a history perspective? So I'm from Dickinson, so I grew up down on the bayou. And earliest food memories are going to be of my grandmother, who was uh, straight up German, was born in Sandy, Texas, in a thunderstorm in a riverbed, according to family legend. It sounds like a song. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But the first smoker we ever had, my dad worked for BFI with their industrial services group. And we drove to Louisiana and picked up an old 55-gallon oil drum offset smoker. And so that's what I learned to cook on, but it's very much the community thing. I went to Holy Trinity there, which is the Episcopal Church there, and back in the back by the cemetery is where we have our community pits, and they're brick pits with the cantilever and the the cable doors, and that's where we would cook chickens for like Strawberry Festival and all that growing up. So that's where it all kind of started. And, I mean, if you grew up around anywhere around this area, you're familiar with the Pits and Spits name. Ryan, where did you first become aware of Pits and Spits as far as a business, or did you did you have one of those pits, or was it kind of an aspirational pit for you? Or so it was something that was aspirational that that really my dad knew about more so than me. Uh, the way I got into this is I have a finance background; that's my education, and then have six or eight years in different types of banking, different types of you know kind of principal investment, call it. And along the way, we would, I would encounter these entrepreneurs that had built, whether it be a website or one guy like was selling snowboards and then started an app. And I always thought that was really interesting. But then there you meet these other guys that had owned a product and they built tanks or they built something that was, it was always dirty and it was always not sexy, call it. But they... Owned it for 20 or 30 years, and I was like, that's really cool. These guys get to do what they want, quote-unquote, do what they want, um, and build something they can be proud of. And then at the end of it, they get to kind of exit it. So the idea was, well, man, like I want to do that. So I have an older brother who is uh, was also has a finance background, but he's an actual oil and gas now. And we said, look, like we should we should go find a business to to buy and we looked around at all sorts of different stuff and when pits and spits came across our table we're like well wait a second this is cool because it's a consumer product we know what it is it seemed to be under managed but it had a ton of brand equity and we're like wait a second all they're doing is custom trailers they do a few backyard smokers but there's a whole lot of backyards there's way more backyards than there is Halliburton to buy trailers you know every three years and so we said, okay, let's let's do it. And it ended up pretty quickly after that. I very much fell in love with the operational side of it, running it day to day. So uh, it, it's my my brother is still he's kind of private. He's he's uh, sorry, silently invested in it. It's minority owner um, or minority investor. And 
it very much grew from this uh, let's buy it, grow it, maybe maybe sell it in, investment idea to really much very much part of who I am, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, it's something that we we always coin and I talk about this every day. It's it is uh, you live with it. It is it is kind of your other spouse, and it in, in a really fun way. But that that's really how I found myself here. Uh, and then in 2016 or maybe it was 2015, I think, is when I was introduced to Koi through uh, the Redneck Country Club. And then in 2017 is when Koi became our national sales leader, and has been here ever since. And he's you know I, I I'll say on as far as the the tax man is concerned, I own it. But as far as you know, acting like an owner, Koi very much acts like an owner, which is always greatly appreciated around here. So I just want to make sure that's that that's known. You always need you always need that right hand guy too. <clears throat> now, when you joined, when I mean when you bought the business, what the product mix was mostly like custom smokers. It it wasn't obviously what it is now, um, and and we know you know pellets, and we'll get into pellets in a minute. But but how did you grow that brand beyond custom? Sure. So we that was one of the ideas was that. There's this great custom business. It was 90% of the business at that time. But we viewed it as saying, well, look, there's there's a great backyard business here. There's a great standard offset smoker and charcoal grill at that time, business line. And there's it's not being marketed. There's no wholesale distribution. You're not really going after that, that individual. So we started to target that. And just we were cold calling dealers and, you know, I would load up a utility trailer with three or four offset smokers and drive to Austin and try and set up three or four meetings and meet with a buyer out in a parking lot. And it's 100 <laughs> degrees in June. And it's it was pretty it's, it's pretty fun looking back on it. But at the time, it was pretty tough because a lot of time I didn't trap those smokers down too well. They might <laughs> flip out in the parking lot or whatever. But uh, so that that was the general idea. The most receptive buyer we ever met is a guy named rick martin who owns texas star grill shop mm-hmm. here in houston who grew around that time he had one store that store is now four times the footprint yeah. and, and very big on the outdoor kitchen correct. cooking concept the, the yeah. guy he brought traeger to i'm not sure if it was texas but to houston he was traeger's original houston distributor so i, I show up over there with some offset smokers and he says look i know who pits and spits is I love it. We'll take them. But you need to look at pellet grills. And I'm thinking, man, nah, I'm, I'm an old school barbecue guy. It's offset. You know, Traegers are a fad. It's, it's the, the pellet grill thing doesn't really make sense. So I, I kind of dismissed it at first. Three or six months later, I don't know what spurred this, but I said, let me, let me think about this a little bit more. Started looking around, seeing Traeger's marketing, kind of seeing, realizing how many dealers they had, and said, "Wait a second, this pellet grill thing is real. This is their, this is a real business, a real product line." And so we, using some of Rick's contacts, contacts made some, met some vendors that could sell us the products because we could buy all the steel and paint in the world, but we didn't know where to get controllers, we didn't know where to get auger motors, where to get augers, any of that stuff. So because of the people Rick introduced us to, we were able to figure out how to do that. And we started slow. We were doing one or two at a time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, 
we were the only pellet grow manufacturer in Texas and guys from Oregon loved it. Guys from California loved it. And it just snowballed into where it, it became a, a line of its own and it has become our biggest business line. But what's really cool about it is that that has picked up, that has helped lift all of our other lines. We're selling more offsets than ever before, more charcoal grills than ever before. And it's really helped Spur and that, and that fajita grill that we that's saw. exactly yeah, that right. right. Yeah. That, those are so yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna post pictures of that one, too. yeah. Yeah, it, it, um, it, like, like I said, I was drawn to it. You saw me, I was just like, like a magnet. Um, we'll look at the 48 whenever you gotcha. So, so pellet, let's give a little bit of back background and history of pellet grills in general. You know, Joe Traeger himself invented it back in 1986. But what really shifted this industry is in 2006, that patent expired. Mm -hmm. And so it allowed other people to sell pellet grills. But those original pellet grills weren't very advanced. They, you know, they just had a speed setting. And so you guys have kind of leapt forward in that. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of those features that you're, you're making a difference in the pellet side. So in the realm of pellet grills, I, I, I break it up into two tiers. And this is kind of my general high altitude look at the industry. Your tier two guys are all of your imports. It doesn't matter how good they think it is. If it's imported, it's a tier two unit automatically. So that's your Traegers, your Rectex, your Gorilla Grills. And, and Gorilla, to be honest, is probably the best of the import models, in my opinion. But then you got your tier one guys, and that's going to be your Yoders, your Max, and your Smoking Brothers. And we're at the and top of it and pit. Well, right. And us, right. And we're probably at the top of that with say the other companies out there. But the key is the algorithm and the computer and the controller. Cause that's the heart of the system. So the biggest complaint that you'll find that people will have that are, that are, that are diehard stick burners is that we just don't get the smoke flavor. I will sometimes contest that in that maybe you're not sure what good smoke flavor is. Meaning, have you been using properly seasoned wood or are you one of those guys that's trying to learn how to cook with green mesquite? Yeah, dirty, no. dirty smoke. Or, right. or you're yeah, putting so. one giant log in one tiny firebox. Right, and yeah, right. there's all sorts of things you can do wrong. And it's the internet, right? Yeah. Everybody's opinion matters. And that's one of the things big about pellet grills. So the smaller your pit, the harder it is to use real wood. Yeah, and and most people don't understand. Like a lot of those pits, you know, you mentioned Oklahoma Joe's uh, earlier. A lot of those pits that they sell at Lowe's or Academy, they're actually not designed to be run on wood. They're designed to be run on charcoal. Charcoal only. Yeah, and and people don't get that, and so they try to run wood, and they and the the temperature spikes and drops, and they're right. just having a hard time. So when you're getting that smaller backyard style, pellets are really a good compromise on. Not just ease of use, but it, it's how smooth the cook goes. Correct. And, and what the pellet does is it, it gives the, the layman who doesn't have our life story of always cooking with fire. You know, it may be some city kid that's never lifted a pit. It gives them an opportunity to have a piece of equipment that produces a consistent quality product. And it makes people happy. Well, that's the big buzzy phrase in apps, right? Is the democratization right. of all of everything, right? And so the pellet grill really helped the democratization of backyard barbecue. Yeah, and that you don't have enough time, you got kids, you're older, you put your time in on your offset. You just want to be able to cook barbecue and not sit outside and sweat all day long. Right yeah. now, from from what ours sets ours aside, you know we have a couple of features on ours like. 
if you put the meat probe in and you set the set point and you're doing a brisket, like when I used to do barbecue classes and we had the time to do them, which are really, they're great, they're fun, but that's a time sink. Put the brisket on before I leave the shop at five, show up at eight o'clock. Well, that brisket's been resting for three hours because whenever it hits the target temp, it cycles down to 180 degrees, which is essentially like a high-end Cambro. And that that that's a big advantage. That's a big advantage. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that we've talked about for years on the show is one of the most important advancements in modern barbecue cooking has been properly holding and resting Oh, yeah, the brisket. rest is everything. It, it, is, it is so important to it. And, yeah, it's... It's hard to do, and and you know, Brian, we've both probably done this over the years of you know trying to learn to cook brisket. Is you get fed up with it, you get tired of it. <laughs> At some point, you're like, I'm throwing this thing in the oven. I don't That's care. Right. That's right. Like, you know, and so yeah, you're, you're or, or you you overshoot your your dinner or lunch, which oh yes, 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 yes. That's nothing like an eleven o'clock dinner. Yeah, or, or trying to time every single different piece of meat to come off at the exact same time when they all cook differently. But yeah, the the rest feature that that you guys have is it's a game changer. Yeah, and, and the key to that is that it's it's the meat probe. So yeah. it's it's not just the fire temperature which you can also set, but once your meat gets to that desired temperature, it drops the it drops the fire temperature down. Right. So it's it's both of those factors which again versus the old school where you've just got a dial. Right. Know, it's a huge difference. Yeah. What, what's pretty interesting about that original controller was when we were launching this and trying to figure out how do you buy a decent controller and we don't we wanted it american made calling the guys that made Traeger's original controller they couldn't have less interest <laughs> it was so funny I was like, wait a second this is a big company well yeah but they don't use this anymore they they sent it to china so we don't we don't and, care. and that's roanoke right no 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 no, 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 that no. Was before or, that uh, or tech or tech okay, okay. And you can still find their controllers on Amazon. Yeah, they, they make a lot of a lot of controllers. Any, it, anytime stuff. you see a turn dial, mm-hmm. that's an Oratech. Mm-hmm. No, Roanoke is based out of Alabama. They do a lot of uh, they do a lot of like, they do all sorts of stuff. Yeah, a lot of government stuff and and all sorts of different controls. And and let's kind of walk through that um, kind of quickly because I mean we can't do this visually because we're not that kind of podcast. Um, <laughs> but I mean you're getting in the steel you're you're using a, um, a CNC machine you're rolling the steel you're welding the steel mm-hmm. um, anything else you want to talk about that process I mean you're painting it in-house as well so yeah so we bring in our steel a lot of our carbon steel comes from down in Sinton so we use quote-unquote Texas steel and we will cut it we will cut it on the plasma here uh, we'll we'll break it on the brake press and then we'll roll it on the pinch roller and then it goes off to the guys for welding. One of the, so the, the roller Coy's talking about is pretty unique. He, he was really proud of that. In the, it, well, in the it's, it's yeah. unique not only in the, in, the, in the smoker and grill industry, but in the metal fabrication industry in general. And the reason why, it's, it, it's can be, it can be time consuming. And that's where a lot of geometry can go wrong. Mm. And so I have this joke of, we're the only ones that do it that way because we're, we're the only ones stupid enough to do it that way. <laughs> I mean, most guys are using pipe or they bend, they take sheet metal, which we, we sheet metal, but they take the sheet, bend it into a hexagon or one yeah, of the cool just break nonagons, yeah, which, right? which doesn't work well with smoke. I mean, right. you know, that's right. And, and, and the beauty of smoke are those round surfaces, those curves. Yeah. And, and the reason we do that is, I mean, we've done that forever, but that's because when the original guys that founded Pits and Spits, they, they were building their own smokers first. And they said, hey, man, we do all the stainless steel work. We want our lids to be stainless. 
So that's where the roll top lid came from. They, you can't, I mean, I don't know if you can buy a stainless steel propane tank. I'm sure you could, but it would be outrageous. But that's why we do it that way, or that's why it was born that way, was because we wanted this to be something that was, that looked great. So that when you have to explain to your significant other, hey, I just spent $2,000 on a smoker. Like, oh man, this is going to just look terrible in the backyard. It comes home, looks great. You get compliments on it. It shines. I mean, it can be polished up. And, so. and you guys offer full stainless pits for the guys that really want to go all yes. the way as yes. well. Um, one of the other features that, that is really cool is you guys, I mean, Koi, you refer to it as a high top, It's but you ovalize that, that circular yeah, the extended design top. so that you get a, you get a higher mm-hmm. top on that mm-hmm. and you get more room. Um, I mean, how did that come about? Man, you're going to have to go back to the Raymond Hardis on that one. That you know, the the extended top is what we've had with three racks. We've had that all ever the, since the, I can the, remember. The idea was that they wanted to maximize the grill, the, the amount of cooking surface, but also right. accessibility. So our eighteen thirty, which are, is also our eight our eight fifty. If you were to take a smoker, a pipe smoker, that is. 18 inches of diameter, 30 inches long. Open it up. Go at, go try to access 18 that. 18 inches is really small for a yeah. smoker. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Most pipe pit builders start at 20. Even on a 20, go try and access or use that second grade. Oh, mm-hmm. you can't. You can't. Yeah. So they, they figured out, well, wait a second. We, we are, we're rolling this steel. We can make that the vertical, quote unquote, diameter. I don't know what the distance is called in oval, but we can make that whatever we want it to be. So they figured out that they could, they they could have a usable second grate, and still a small footprint. So let's go through a little bit of the product line of pits and spits, and what what's available to the customer. We'll start with we'll start with offset pits, and we'll we'll get into more of the specialized your your fajita. We'll get into the fajita grill. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but let's start with the the standard offset pits, and we'll go through the kind of the pellet lining, and, and you know, kind of run the run the whole gauntlet here. So what can Consumers that are looking to get a backyard pit, what are their options? So for our, our offset, or we'll call them indirect smokers, there are uh, three styles. Two are, two are effectively the same. So there's just the standard offset smoker and the 24 by 36, which means the diameter is 24 and the length of the cooking chamber is 36 or 24 by 48. We, we do have a 30 by 60 for the competition guys. All of those are available in the extended top which adds typically an additional 50% in cooking surface area. So we, we, but we, re, we refer to them as their, uh, as their circular dimensional, you know, gotcha. requirements. So that's the offset. We have that in the offset style, a 24 by 24 firebox with a, uh, side state grill, which is the lid that opens up above the firebox that allows you to, charcoal grill you can cook pizzas whatever you want either while you're smoking or it just basically gives you a charcoal grilling option on your smoker so that you can have two in one we also have the offset that has the upright smoke box so that's for uh warming and and cold smoking yeah i'd like to get into that just a little more detail because that's a pretty unique design so it's an offset pit it also has the the smoke box, kind of a, a vertical smoke box. Correct. But it it does have kind of its own. I I, I saw the heat exchange. It kind of has its own whole section there, 
Um, it's not independent, but it has two different temperature zones, basically. And it's free flow. There's no baffle. We don't we don't cut it off from the main chamber. But specifically with the pellet is where you see that big delta between the upright and the cook chamber. With the offsets, the delta is not as pronounced. And, and that's basically just because of the draw. So with the stick, if you went with a stick burner with the upright, you're probably looking at about a 60 degree difference. Yeah, it's not used. You wouldn't cook a brisket in there. No. Sure, sure. But if you were cooking three or four, whichever right ones you think are done, mm-hmm. right, you, yeah, holding, you may holding or, in there. Right. Even holding, sides, cooking sides beans. Them in there. Totally. Right. Yeah. But with the pellet, that's where we're fairly unique in that no one else does a, a welded side smoke chamber. Some of the import guys have something that you can bolt on, but there's nothing that's integral to the unit. And so with ours, there's probably a, with the 2000, with the upright, there's probably a hundred degree difference between the upright and the main cook chamber. So it's really popular with guys that cure their own meats, make their own bacon. They like to hang sausage, things like that. You, you, you like making your own sausage. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and it's become very popular. Uh, and then most po- most folks probably go with the the 1250 which is the the just the round barrel with the upright that's definitely the most popular but the 2000 with the upright gets gets quite a bit of attention. So the the final indirect uh sick burner we have is a combo. Yeah. And so it's it's called a combo because the firebox is underneath and then right above that there's a thick deflector plate to help push that smoke and heat around to circulate the, the chamber. The firebox is in the middle That's of the right. pit. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. It's in the middle of the barrel. So a if it's a 24 by 36 combo, its footprint is within that envelope. You know what that reminds me of? Rico? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. A little R- bit like Rico that. is a, is a Bewley pit that's uh, pretty famous and infamous at the same time. But um, <laughs> it, it had a stone, but it was a mushroom shape. We're way, going way off topic, but... Uh, but yeah, it's that concept of having the shape. fire in the middle, but you've got that, the heat plate to kind of yeah. separate. Well, yeah. Yeah. It had a heated stone, which was pretty stone, badass, yeah. and, and let, it led some really cool bark development, but it also led to a lot of grease fire, too. Well, that was... <laughs> so uh, the Pitmaker guys used to work at Pits and Spits years ago, well before me, and we heard a guy at uh, barbecue camp talking about his vault. And we were talking about heat sinks and why water matters, and he was talking about using sand. And he said he used sand as his heat sink, and he had such a big fi- grease fire that the fire department came. <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting off here, off topic here. But the combo was designed by the original Pits and Spits owners slash founders and Ronnie Killen back in the 90s. Oh, wow. When Ronnie wow. was doing competition sir. Sure. Sure. Back the in the 90s, cert. he was like 12. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Every time we see yeah. him, he, always, he, he, he tells us, and yeah. it's, like, it's like, dude, I've been telling that story before I even knew you. So. <laughs> and of course, of course, his father was, was, um, was yeah. big in the barbecue. Yeah, Jerry was huge yeah. into huge. the competition barbecue scene. Yeah. You know, legend in Gonzales, you know, him and, yeah. uh, him and Wayne Baker and Wayne Baker's father from Baker Boys Barbecue were big in the Gonzales scene. And, you know, really, you know, we've heard some really good stories of, of Jerry Killen over the years and his uh, mm-hmm. his competition barbecue cooking. But uh, but but back to pits and spits. Let's get back to let's, let's <laughs> the, the combo so, cooker is my favorite. That's Coy's that favorite. Is, that is interesting. Yeah. What what is unique about that that center firebox? What does it do that's kind of different than than left to right draw or right to left? Well, what I like about the combo is that it's more efficient on footprint and it's more efficient on fuel. Because it's essentially a, a, a vertical smoker. 
and in between the firebox and the cook chamber, you've got a quarter inch piece of plate steel. So all your heat and all your smoke comes up on the sides. Which is a not, then, not necessarily reverse flow, but but kind of along those lines, right, like right. a close pit. Or, it's kind of like a reverse flow meets a green egg. Yeah, yeah sure. that, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. Because once that, and because of our roll tops, you know, because of the pinch roller, when that heat and that smoke comes up on the sides, it just hits the top and it just starts rolling. But it, that's also because our smokestack placement is below the bottom cooking rack. And that's a that's a major design point is that you got to give that air is going to follow the path of least resistance. Well, when you give it a weird path, it just starts circulating. You get really nice convection. So like a, a our 24 by 48 barrel with an extended top, you can do whatever you want in it. That, that really reminds me of the Buleys because their smokestack sits so low in the mm-hmm. yeah. pits too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Buley, and I think some of the Buleys even adjustable in it. Buleys mm-hmm. does some goofy things. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about uh, one of the things that Brian and I have been geeked at about for years: direct heat pits. Um, you guys do some uh, some things that Brian's already drooling over as we walked in today. Uh, so tell us a little about some of the direct heat cooking that you can do with some of the Pits and Spits products. So we have. Well, I'll start at the smallest, and we'll go up from there, but. The smallest is our tailgater pit, and that's a simple charcoal grill. Hold, have in the backyard. You can also hook it up, hook it up to the back of your truck on a little hitch. Take it with you. Super fun to cook. I invented on. that. Just so you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're so fun to cook on. I mean, that's that's I, that's what I had at one of my, you know at a house several years ago, and they're just it, they're so simple. But again, just you get so much enjoyment out of it. A lot of the the welders that have welding trucks, they have those little. That's right. That's right. That's right. My my brother had one, but you see, and they're kind of cool because they're all kind of specialty. But Uh but yeah, just little 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 easy pits. But um, and and then kind of the next step up from that. That that's when you start to get into what was originally called the fajita grills. We now call them the adjustable charcoal grills, just to make a little make a little more sense. Or I'm sorry, to uh, show that you can cook other things than fajitas on them. But what it is, is it's basically a reverse Santa Maria style grill. So instead of adjusting the meat, you adjust the heat. And that's a hey, little, little Hank Hill yeah, reference yeah. right there. there you go. So you can... Trademark. <laughs> you load up the uh, charcoal grate, get it lit with our kind of signature log lighter, which for easy lighting of any of our stick burning or wood burning products, uh, and then once from there, you can move the heat up and down, move the charcoal up and down. So if you want a hotter, if you want a hotter heat, you know, bring it up, lower, keep it lower. We have a flat top so that it, that's those are really cool. Those look like a pig cooker. Uh, then we have a roll top as well, so that's got two grates in it. You can have a little cooler zone on top if you're trying to cook vegetables, steam something like that. So um, they're really they are so fun to cook on. And that's what what there, we think. If there's not one yet, we're gonna we're trying to make they're kind of a renaissance of direct heat because it goes. Let's let's take it all the way back to those original brick pits yep. that they were doing chicken. Oh on. yeah, how was that cooked? That was it, direct heat. It, I did chicken on my forty eight fajita grill just last night, and that that's exactly right. I I think that people are the the pellet grill market has been great. It's going to continue to grow, but people are starting to. I think lose the fear. And I don't know if this is because of YouTube or social media or what, but people are not nearly as, as intimidated as they once were of live fire. 
And so I personally think there's going to be this a lot of, a lot more live fire in people's backyards. There's an entertainment aspect to it. That's right. You know, oh, so yeah. And, and we're way away from the days of, of pouring the lighter fluid around the, right. <laughs> on, right. on the briquettes, right? We, we've, we've gotten better at it and lump charcoal and all of those other things that we, which have been around forever, but that seems to be more like, – it's just much more of an experience. Yeah. Well, well, even in a commercial barbecue standpoint, I, I want to say about half the top 10 on the Texas Monthly Top 50 have some sort of direct heat on their menu. Oh, yeah. You know, whether that's burnt beans doing chicken and pork steaks on direct heat, Lorraine Lewis does whole hog and right. a, a myriad of other things on direct heat. You're seeing it pop up on barbecue restaurant menus more and more. Yeah, I mean, BQs are becoming like... Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, the BQ grill in, in North Carolina, you know, that's, you know, it started from the whole Sam Jones family, but that's kind of grown in popularity in Texas and, and, and beyond. So one other thing that you guys had showed us today... Um, you had the offsets and you had the pellets and you also have a hybrid. Yes. So tell us number one, why and how and about that bit. So the way we work is I'll come up with a somewhat crazy harebrained idea <laughs> and I'll bring it and it's going to get rejected about 15 times before we have that finally refined. That That's how the creative process works. And we like to do what we call customer-based R&D. So we find somebody eventually that wants us to do something like that. And we're like, man, we've been wanting to do that. Great. Well, that's the beauty of a custom side of our business. Because right. since we make everything here, our MOQ or you know, minimum order quantity is one. One. And someone will ask a question. Well, typically, Koi starts and he says, what if we did this? Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, all right, dude, go find me five people that are going to buy that. <laughs> and then, you know, lo and behold, he'll... Find somebody that's willing to buy it at the right price. And I say, okay, did you talk to them that this is purely a, this is an R&D project? Like, we, they, they know that they're a guinea pig. And, and, and I don't blame them, but people love it. People love oh, yeah, that sure. approach. They like being part of the process. Well, and, and they like having something unique. Which, it's which, unique and they get to say. Yeah, when you can customize the product to, you know, you know, to an extent to, right. to what you are looking for. That's an amazing And ability. so what we figured out when we developed the hybrid was, well, what size do you make it? Because it can't be too small. It can't be too big because you have to worry about what you're going to do with the, what are you going to do with the grease? Right. And so the hybrid is based upon the 48 inch barrel. So you have our standard firebox on the right hand side. So that's 24 by 24 with the side state grill. And then on the left side, you have your hopper, you have your pellet side. And so what we were figuring out is, well, what do you do about the exhaust? What do you do about the smokestack? Because you're worried about draw. So what we did is we just did a four-inch stack on the lid on the hopper side. And we're like, well, are we going to get a good enough draw? And like, well, we're going to find out. And so we built the first one, and I had it out in the parking lot here for about a month, and we were just running it all day. And the draw was great because the stack was wide enough. It's not a tall stack, but it's wide enough for... And that's what you see, like, it's another kind of change you've seen over pits over the years, is is the diameter of the stack oh, yeah. has gotten much yeah. larger as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so the, the hybrid has a, it has a pretty good size stack, but it's on the lid instead of coming out from the bottom of the barrel. So there is some give and take. So the hybrid's nice because it has the nuance of the pellet, or the nuance of the stick burner, meaning you can run it as a stick for six hours and then you're ready to go to bed. 
you turn on the pellet, you get, you know, you get your shut eye, you wake up, you're ready to go. You can run them at the same time if you want. Or right. well, you just run it as a charcoal pit, cook your steaks, and go to bed. And it's great for the pellet skeptics that are like, I don't get enough smoke. Yes. Well, then you can use the stick burner function. Correct. And then you can finish it Correct. on the pellet side. And my my biggest concern was that you know, we have we have for a long time been uh, we we're still a premium product. I mean I will stand by that, but the highest priced product for a long time, forever. All of a sudden we we are seeing offset pits that are the same size or smaller than ours that are a higher price and so that kind of made us say wait a second yeah this makes sense people are people are into this and so now we can we can afford to build these hybrids and deliver i mean it's it gets the it it gets the notoriety of being an offset hybrid with a pellet grill but it's also a charcoal grill right i mean so it's it's a three-in-one not just a two-in-one oh yeah yeah it's an outdoor kitchen and and you guys from kind of the start you've always made you know we talked about the stainless steel you've always used thicker steel than what mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of especially in the pellet world like the first pellet grills oh yeah were, were just paper thin and yeah. and i bought one for uh, my grandkid last year and it was cold and we had a hell of a time trying to keep the temperature right um but that that thickness which naturally it's more expensive there's no way around right. it right right the price of steel the price of everything has gone up so it What's happened is like I think some of the other people have kind of caught up to you, um, and you know not to not to name names of any other any other pellet companies, but there's there's a four thousand dollar one from another company that just came out recently, but it's it's because they're finally starting to see the realization that it's worth paying more if you're going to get a product that's going to last. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's finish this off. We got to go through your your the rest of your pellet lineup. And make sure everyone knows what their options are in terms of size of what they can get. We talked about the the two in one. It's really a three in one. Let's go through the rest of them. So the, the rest of the the Pellet Girl line, which we call the Maverick line, uh, is it's like you said earlier, it's available in either kind of our standard carbon with stainless lid and front shelf or full stainless. Uh, that's the the eight fifty, the twelve fifty, and the two thousand. Uh, the twelve fifty and the eight fifty. I'm sorry, the twelve fifty and the two thousand also are, are are available with the uprights. And those numbers, those reference how many square inches of cooking surface we have. And so we, it is the same barrel. A 1250 is the same barrel as a 24 by 36. But we changed it to uh, the square inches of cooking surface so that, so that people know that tends to be a more common question within that industry. Yeah, and well, and so with the, you have the 850, the 1250, and the 2000. The most popular model that we make, of course, is going to be the 1250, and that's on the 24 by 36 footprint. The nice thing is that the 1250 and the 2000, they're the same footprint. So you're not going to take up more room because we go vertical. And I'll just say this, my opinion, the 2000 is the best pellet cooker on the market because it can do two ribeyes or you can do nine full packer briskets. It doesn't care. I mean, just repeat that. Nine briskets. Nine full packer briskets on a 24 by 36 footprint. It, with, it, with the options to kind of, I don't want to use the word set it and forget it, but, but with the option of, of, of watching the meat temperature and then, I mean, nine briskets, you're going to have different meat temperatures, right. but, but being able to roll it into that hold state as well. It, exactly. And exactly. And, and I have done the nine briskets for our, uh, Blue and Gold Banquet for Scouts a couple years ago. 
And yeah, you don't stay, you, you do stay up with it just because it's nine briskets, but the level, the threat level there, the risk is not what it would be if I was doing it on a stick burner. We, we know pop-up people that have done less than nine briskets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. I, I've thought about doing a pop-up, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to get into that. Don't but, do it. Uh, we did it for right? years. It sucks. <laughs> oh, it's, I, I love so, building them. Yeah, yeah. Let everybody do, else do, cook Doing on. demos and, and things here, maybe question and answer sections right. would be great. Um, but, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, but that's <laughs> the beauty of the 2000, right? It's like a diesel. Yeah. It's not the fastest kid on the block. But he doesn't stop. The twelve fifty, he he he's the F one fifty. He's good to go. He's going to go fast. He's going to go strong. I kind of refer to the eight fifty as the Porsche of the family. He's smaller. He's more agile. You can go higher temp with it. Uh, and and let's just touch on that one more time too, or not one more time, but you guys can get up to is it over six hundred? So yes. Now I have had my two thousand. So when so let, let's let's make sure we have the clear uh, understanding. When you're going high temp, it's all about surface temp. It's not about air temperature when you're smoking. So on my 2000 with our modular grate system in the griddle, I cooked some prime ribeyes last night at 680 degrees. And I've had the griddle as high as 720. Now, so that that's cooking surface. Now, from an air temperature, yeah, you can get up 450, And that's the, that is kind of one of the nuances of grilling on a pellet grill. Right. Is, so we have a trapdoor drip pan. You open it up, you can access the fire. And when you're searing or when you're grilling, you're focused on surface temp versus ambient temp. Right. So a lot of times, it's just something to learn, right? That your controller might say you're at 400, 415. Your surface temps at 600 and so that and that's what's important. yeah and, and and the pellet industry as a whole we all suffer from a case of too much data there's too much information there's too many numbers that's the beauty of the live fire it just lets people cook so yeah, you've got options to do literally anything you want in the cooking grilling live fire world here at pits and spits the great thing is the customization that you can do if if you if you got some crazy idea, make sure you've got at least four other friends so that Cody can justify. <laughs> That's it. right. That's right. <laughs> that want to do it as well. But but yeah, no, there's no shortage of options for pretty much anything you'd want to do in the barbecue or live fire world, which is something Pits and Spits has been doing for almost 40 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, the name is iconic. The product is iconic. You know it when you see it. You know, not to denigrate any pit builders, but you could probably close your eyes, open your eyes, and see ten different pits from on the market, and you might not be able to tell which was which. You always know a pit when you see it every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. looks great in the backyard. Tons of options for competition for backyard cooks. So much you can do with it. What's the best way to get a hold of you guys? Give us a call. Our phone number is eight four four six five zero six two five zero, or just. Go through our website, do the contact us page, or just email us at sales at pitsandspits.com. All right. And that website is pitsandspits.com. With two T's two T- in both. Yeah, two T's in both. Double T's. There you go. It's like D-O-double-G. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let them know you heard about it on Tales from the Pits. That's right. And that's only one T. Yes, only one T. <laughs> no, two T's, Tales and Pits. Well, oh, I mean, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, thank you for the time. Thank you for producing the products you produced for so many years and carrying on the legacy of this place and building on it. It, well, it took us a long time to consider pellet 
manufacturers. And speaking with Koi in the past, you know, we, we knew that you guys were passionate about it and you had a special product. Mm-hmm. So, again, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank, thank you.